But what sparked your interest in kind of behavioral psychology, neuroscience, things like that? Hmm. Actually, the first time I haven't thought of. Thank you for asking. Um, it was when um, I was I was at American Express and we were uh, relaunching a, a redesigned 401k a retirement benefits platform. But at the time, we redesigned we did redesigned the, the the 401k and had to lean into pretty deep behavioral economics principles. Um, to understand things like default mechanisms and simplicity, actually, even at the time and the clarity behind that. And how do you help people not rather see something and truly something as a gain um, versus as a loss? Um, again, similar actual framing to what you just did. And so it wasn't quite a loss, loss, right? But the framing of that matters um, and it's just as real. And so I think that was the very first time um, as it was a behavior shift uh, for many, that I leaned into kind of behavioral economics, how behave, behaviors, and then ever since then, I've been obsessed with everything in that space, from nudge theory and brain priming mechanisms and framing and mindsets and um, everything, everything. In yeah, so I've always been very grateful that I kind of stumbled into consumer insights, market research. Mm -hmm. Because it's all about how wacky people are and how we make decisions. And like you said earlier, you know, uh, emotionally we might make a decision and then backfill it rationally <laughs> to protect our ego, basically. Uh, there's a pastor who talks about rationalize. You know, we, we tell ourselves rationalize to like protect our ego, essentially, at the end of the day. But, but that we are emotional creatures. We are not just okay. work producing units, right? And when you, when you can tap into what are the underlying drivers or what are the underlying barriers that, you know, are actually causing behavior. And, and maybe this is a good opportunity now to link this to change management. Mm. Right. So how do you think about, because you've got a good understanding, I'm sure like everybody, it's an evolving understanding of how people make decisions, how people choose to adopt behaviors or not. How do you incorporate that in your role uh, as chief talent officer? That's a big question. Thinking about maybe like functional design, change management. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it always ever starts with listening. I guess first is caring, actually. Mm -hmm. Do you even care that, do you even care what makes people tick? Do you even care how they make decisions? Why? What's the, right? And that's where the listening comes in and listening comes in a gazillion ways. It can come through design thinking and focus groups and interviews. And um, it can come from a deep care from uh, employee engagement surveys. It can come in a one-on-one -on -one when, when somebody's having a bad day. How do you, how do you, hold that against the bigger picture of, again, that, that whole person and, and, and human being. It comes in the form of benefits of, you know, providing support in, in the form of benefits when people are grieving uh, over lost loved ones. We learned that during COVID too. I, and in, in a wonderful way, organizations stepped up to support their people uh, through that and, and shining a light on topics like mental health. And it's all, it's all part of that same big picture. Um, so in terms of change, now going back to your, your question, I think it always ever starts with caring, listening, incorporating that. 
knowing what you don't know and understanding that you don't even know what you don't know mm-hmm. um, and playing in that space, uh, not assuming. And again, this goes for the collective, like in organizations and individuals. What you're making me think about is from a leadership perspective, authenticity and transparency, mm-hmm. right? Because as a leader, well, one one model would be you're the wizard, you know everything. And so we're just expect you to have all the answers and versus saying, you know, actually, I don't know. And, and, but I care. And so mm-hmm. and I want to, to better understand how this impacts you, how this makes you feel mm-hmm. right. Uh, if it was up to you, how would you do this? Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in my view, that that's much closer to true leadership because what's the expression? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And, mm. right. And again, it just all gets back to these are human beings, not human doings. So our shared uh, friend, uh, Mr. Arnie, um, he will say um, that, well, actually it wasn't, I just lost the train of thought, but it is about how you make people feel, right? Um, and, and oh, this is his add-on. Um, not just how you make people feel, but how you make people feel about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. and, uh, and that goes to our being and who we want to be and how we see ourselves. So, yeah. Well, one of the things that we find, again, a lot of the people that we work with have experienced a job loss. Mm. So... You talked earlier about grieving, and that's why we've incorporated basically mental uh, health support because these aren't cells on a spreadsheet, right? These are real people who've experienced a loss who you have to go explain to their loved one, like, what happened and how do you deal with this? And one of the greatest things that we're able to, back to reframing, show people is, you know, you have agency still. You've got moral authority here. And- Every moment of every day, you get to choose your attitude and you get to choose your actions. Everything else could be happening around you, but you do have choices. And people, that, I mean, that is that sounds really simple, but it's, it's like majorly profound. Because people move from being a victim to being the author of what happens next. Yes. And like you said, that just like massively changes their outlook and their energy to go instead of being depressed and staying in bed all day because the world's conspired against me to I can get up today and go make something happen. That's why we titled the course Making Your Own Weather. It's like you can go make stuff happen. You have so much more control than you think that you have. And, And that's why, you know, real change management starts in somebody's mind. Mm. I never thought of it that way, but this is very true. Um, And it's hard, right? It's hard when people are in that state to really share that with them. It's very, and it's, it's, it's the hardest time to believe that because you feel powerless. You feel like things are happening to you and they are in some ways, but how you choose to react, to respond rather. Yeah. to that, not react, but respond does make a big difference. Yeah. And, you know, and, and people struggle and, and we can zoom out here because this isn't just about job loss. This just could be like, oh my gosh, this AI, AI cloud is moving in. Like, what's that mean for me? And people can get very stuck in fear, confusion, panic, yeah. anger, 
Well, and so this is a little nerve, right? Our brain scans for threats. God, yep. I don't remember exactly six times, ten times. What some other people who are watching this will be able to share in the comments, but um, X times more than it scans for the rewards and the positive, which is why going back to change management and the vacuum of clear and consistent communication, people will fill in that void with their own stuff, and it's not going to be good. <laughs> it's just not. That's not how it works, right? Um, and so understanding that that we are wired. To see the threats more than we are the rewards, it matters. Yeah. So, so I, I learned from a friend of mine who's an expert in facial coding that there's um, six or seven core emotions. Five of them are negative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fear, sadness, contempt, anger. I'm forgetting one. The neutral one is surprise. Surprise! Mm. I just wrecked my car. Surprise! I just won the lottery, but but I'm surprised. And the only positive one is happy. You know, I have to poke a little. Please. I have a feeling that the science is actually out on that. I think that it may not be as universal. The description of and the understanding mm. of emotions may not be what we think it is. I'm, I might be opening up a whole thing, but I, I think that I, I think I read research recently that stated that we think that. This thing means happiness, and we think that happiness is more universal than it might be. I don't know. Again, mm. I, I welcome it to others who might be more, but I. Well, I'll go do some more digging. Brought up an interesting. <laughs> we can continue that another time. But just just picking up on the idea that that we do change generally means a threat, and we are scanning for threats. Yeah. Um, one of the things in. That, that we had talked about was a little bit around DEI. This is related DEI and unconscious bias. Mm. And you had a point of view on that. I was wondering if you could share that. Well, so it's interesting. That reminds me of, I went, I don't remember the exact conference and I unfortunately forget the gentleman's name. And he was a professor. He was, he was, he was deeply, he was, his expertise was all unconscious bias and he spoke beautifully. And now I forget, but it was like, he wrote God knows how many books and, uh, and I remember after the, the his his session, and I went up to him, and I was just of course so intrigued, and I'm like, okay, so you know all this stuff, and you're like the expert, and you know what you understand all of the nooks and crannies and everything, and so what do you do differently now because of that? Like, how do you override? Like, surely your stuff must be better than other people's stuff. Surely your you know the way that you know now you're processing, and it was the most humbling thing that he said. He's like, no. I actually realized that I cannot override it at all. And so all I do now, he, he journals. He could be like, what do you mean? What does that have to do with anything? He's like, our biases are always ever there. They're wired in us. You can't, they're unconscious biases. So like as much as you might be aware, the ever, the first and ever reaction will always come from that spot, mm. from that source. And so the job is to design around it to design processes and systems. This is where actually they're incredibly handy to, to design bias out of processes. You think of recruiting, you think of promotions, right? Mm. Um, how do you put in place the systems to make sure that it seeps in as little as possible? Mm. You cannot count on the human element for that, unfortunately, because again, our biases will always ever be there. And then he journaled, he mentioned how, and I thought, again, fascinating. He's like, you are never who you actually think you are. Who you actually are is the sum of your actions. Yes. So you can think about all of the things that you want to be, but the truth we talk about lies we tell ourselves. <laughs> mm. 
either serve us or they don't, but lies we tell ourselves. And so what he does is he, he journals. And then through the journals, there he then he reverse engineers who he is. Mm-hmm. That is his was his process of self-discovery. I thought that was just brilliant and, and so thought-provoking in terms of lies we tell ourselves. I mean, Where the proof yeah, actually that, is. That, that's brilliant, though. It's like that that notion of we are our true character is the sum of our actions. Arguably, all. It's like yeah. a, a tree falls in a forest. Well, okay, I can think, I can have all the best intentions in the world. Does that actually make it right? What 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 matters is what we do. Yeah. And of course, what we do stems from who we want to be. Again, the be do have piece. But 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 that is the. That's where the rubber meets the road. Yeah, for 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 anybody who's listening, that this this is like foundational book in uh, kind of decision making and how we think is uh, Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow, and you have System One and System Two. Mm-hmm. System One is that's our default mode, and that, that's where all the unconscious <laughs> bias lives because we need System One thinking just to survive because of all the stimuli around us. Yeah. And when things kind of don't align or we can't do something in system one, then you need to engage system two. So I, I like what you're talking about in terms of designing systems and processes that acknowledge that it's real. It is. Instead of pretending like this isn't really happening because it, it doesn't suit me for that to be true about me. Well, be that as it may, it is true. And how do we design for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Enabling the behaviors and the actions. Um, so uh, one of the things just last week, we had talked a little bit about personas. I don't know if you mm-hmm. remember this. And, you know, this kind of monolithic, like here's one size fits all messaging style versus things that are hyper personalized. And then maybe something that's in the middle ground and, and how to create scalability and messaging yet still be able to personalize. Can you riff on that for a minute? Yeah. So it's funny. This does remind me of, and again, I keep forgetting the names of books. That's unfortunately one of my weaknesses, names and dates and things. But uh, it's in many ways, I think we're heading in a world of like a, the barbell effect, right? Yeah. Where, and I think of that in terms of barbells, like there's an ever elongating tail of differentiation and bespokenness, if that's a word, but like the customization and like the individuality of what we do and how we do. And yet, we all have so much, and we all have so much more in common than not, and that's like the monolithic piece over here. Um, and so, how do we tackle both the understanding of what makes us all kind of the, the the shared elements that we have in common, and not bifurcating or bifurcating when that like differentiating us so much that we forget all of those things? That's that's a yes. huge pitfall. But at the same time, understanding the uniqueness of every individual and meeting them where they are. Um, and I think a lot of that, um, uh, coming a little bit for for Sokol in terms of like putting people in that driver's seat, um, is about um, not presupposing or pushing the solution. I, um, so what I mean by that is kind of bringing them in in a scalable way. And this is different than like as traditional programmatic approaches where it's like, okay, here's the thing and now I'm going to roll it out and I'm going to cascade it and then we're going to make it bespoke down there over. But it's about creating whatever programs or structures to already go there wherever people are in a scalable way that's kind of bespoke from the onset, but with a shared 
I don't know if this makes any sense, but with a shared backbone um, of how you do that um, at, at the center. But what, what, what resonates for me, and, and, and I'm, I think I'm keeping up with you, but, but it's when we're grounded in a common purpose, right? And sure. that, that kind of gets back to you know, convictions and clarity. So if we're grounded in a common purpose, then that becomes the language that we can speak to each other. Right. And, and I like what you're saying about, you know, let's focus on what we have in common, not just on what makes us different, because this hyper tribalism doesn't and work. It's an and right. Yeah. Um, both both are always ever present. Um, there's the individuality and the uniqueness. And then there's the things that we share in common. And so the design of any elements uh, that hit the organization as a whole have to have to hold both of those things present at the same time. Yep. And, you know, that's where diversity and inclusion come in really helpful because you get, if we have a common purpose, there's something that this, this common thing that we hold true that we believe, but we experience it differently or we've come at it in a different way, that the way that it's delivered. So it's like water takes the shape of its container. Water is the same. It's it's always the same, but it might come in a different container mm-hmm. because that's the way that it's best received. But we're not changing the water all the time. We're not mm-hmm. reformulating the purpose all the time to suit that one person. It's the same, but the container that it comes in can be changed in a way that they can best receive the same substance that everybody else is getting. Mm. So. See if yeah. that works for you. Um, last thing, I want to be mindful of your time. And this is, I could talk to you for hours. Um, because you're the chief talent officer, um, I'm very curious about just maybe some talent attributes, some talent qualities that when you're building teams, mm-hmm. when you're interviewing people, are there things that you look for that, that would be really important traits? Yeah. <laughs> Where do I start? I think um, I think the first one is humility. Um, actually, I don't want to order it. I don't think it's the first. It's just one of um, humility is a big one. Um, that you don't come with a preset solution. I took it from what I did over there, putting it over here. There's a humility for what you don't know. There's a humility for what used to serve you, isn't serving you anymore. And kind of there's that level for me that humility is an entry point into the openness of like like personal growth and understanding that you don't have it all figured out. Um, And so for me, that's an access point into learning. And so the learning element kind of on the flip side of that is like continuously learning um, and being in it and struggling with it and and sticking with it. which then goes to resilience. Um, do you have, have you developed some of these tools to do the work that you were talking about in terms of the mindset, in terms of framing things for yourself and others? Mm. And then that goes to kind of team and collaboration. Um, what kind of a player are you? <laughs> you know, are you a team player? What does team mean to you? Mm. Um, and how do you support the team and, and be a part of the team um, to achieve our shared goals. Um, what else would I, would I think about? The comfort with ambiguity. I think it's kind of part of part of this mix. Uh, and and actually, it's interesting. I never thought of it. I think that that has to be that's linked probably to a little bit of that humility piece because if you're comfortable with ambiguity, 
I just lost the, that that train the train of thought the, the connection the connective tissue there. Um, but I think they're linked because there's an openness in both to be okay with where things are that may or may not be in your control, but move forward nonetheless. Um, You could be like, well, what does all this stuff have to do with talent? And the things you're looking at, but I think that matters. I think so much skills can be learned. you know, all skills every time without, no, no, no. I think a lot, you know, I talk about the half-life of skills, right? Some the half-life could be super short or very long. And of course the harder skills, to, the hardest skills to learn are the, the ones that have the longest duration, mm-hmm. um, but um, that last us most. But I think, um, I think those attributes are just so important. Um, and I'll take that any day over, a, you know, a deep, deep, deep SME and some space that has read God knows what and has, I don't know how many degrees. Um, Can I ask you a question on that? So yeah. this is a frustration of mine. So you're in a position to, to provide some clarity for me is I obviously I completely agree with you. Like these attributes, it's sort of the what you bring to the party because it's all going to change anyway. So are you humble enough? You know, are you an agile learner? Mm. Can you, are you resilient? I could riff on that one for an hour by itself. You know, the, the ability to deal with the ambiguity and not have something pre pre prescribed because mm. it's not going to be right anyway. Um, but job descriptions, mm. ATSs, like it's like the process is geared towards, you know, well, but you don't have seven years of exactly doing this thing. You could be the smartest person, the most flexible, the most humble, whatever. But sorry, you don't have seven years of doing this exact thing. It's yeah. so narrow. And, and, and I, that, that for me is very frustrating because I see very talented people struggling because they're, they're not checking enough of these the square peg in the square hole. hyper specific requirements. Yep. I think that's, I think that's, that's an issue. Um, I think, I think we all need to get better at that. I think, and and I'm kind of parlaying into the world of education, which I kind of took a little meander in my career. And um, I think that's a, hmm, there's a lot of going on in my mind right now. (laughs) I'm trying to focus. Um, I, I think it's a it's a great point where we need to rethink um, how experience. Uh, we need to rethink credentialing. Yeah. Uh, and that's also in service kind of DI more broadly. Um, and we are as a we, we need to we ourselves need to become more agile and adaptive to the realities of of today. So you see lots of organizations toying with actually becoming or taking over for the higher end space uh, and actively saying, actually, we will, we will train, we will do this. We will. um, And so I think nobody's cracked that nut yet. Um, I think organizations like Minerva and others are are doing a great job and rethinking um, those spaces altogether, and you're like, why are you going into the education space? Because I think that that's one of the first entry point credentials um, that kind of hits the, the 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 topic that that you bring up. And I think it's also a matter. Think we talk about thinking fast, thinking slow. I think it's easier, right? Not not better, but it's right. easier to say, check 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 among the plethora of candidates. I can say, and then this is it. 
But if you look at the track record of how many people and you, whether executives or otherwise, what's the success rate and the attrition rate after how many months and job, like, like, surely we can do better. Yeah. Yeah. And I think most of it's really rooted in risk avoidance, right? Because yeah. hiring by, by its nature is a risky thing, right? So how do I mm-hmm. you know, reduce my risk profile? Yes. Well, you've, you've got all these things and I can document, you know, on another day, well, this person had all these things versus like, what the heck were you thinking? You took a flyer on what? But, but yeah. I fundamentally do believe that the qualities that you were talking about this natural curiosity and uh, being an agile learner, because I love what you said earlier, like things are never going to be slower than they are right this minute. So like you need to be able to keep up with this, that the record keeps going faster and faster. You can keep dancing. Um, But I mean, and clearly it's a balance. Like, I mean, like I'm not going to ever go be a JavaScript programmer, so I could be like the most agile learner in the world, but I'm, I'm not a programmer or you need somebody that is a CPA if they're going to be in your finance department, mm-hmm. right? You know, with mm-hmm. a certain level of responsibility. But having said that, you know, there's, there's a lot of room to allow people to grow and to bring a different perspective to an old problem uh, and, and come up with a, a more unique solution because they're not in the same rut that everybody else has been doing the same thing for 17 years you know, has kind of, has those grooves burned in them too. So mm-hmm. um, any, any parting thoughts? I mean, th- this has been very thoughtful and, uh, you know, what I love because it's been really organic and kind of been all over the map in one sense, but mm-hmm. I think around a common theme. Any, any parting thoughts as you, you know, might share something with, with fellow HR leaders, particularly in the talent space? I think we're at an incredible time. Uh, for HR and talent right now, um, I really do. It's 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 very exciting for me um, and my team to to be at this point in time. I think there's more opportunity than ever. Opportunity even sounds so mundane to say it, but um, to really make amazing things happen. Um, and um, it's it's just a great great time to be in this space. No, I think that's good. And that's all the reframing. This is, <laughs> it's a threat or it's an opportunity. And I think choosing to see it as an opportunity is definitely the way to go. So AMS, this is so much fun. Uh, you bring a really fresh perspective on a lot of these things. I think a very positive energy to helping people think about some old problems in a new way. So uh, for that, I really, really appreciate your time today. Thank so, you for having me. Awesome. So everyone, thank you so much for listening. Um, you can find this on YouTube, on your favorite podcast platform. But uh, we just really appreciate you taking a few minutes with us today. And for that, thank you again, AMS. Appreciate it. Thank you, Bob. I know.